hundreds of pages, thousands of words, millions of letters. Welcome to the Kanja Book Club. The price of admission? Fifty thousand. What is up, everybody? Welcome to the Kanja Book Club, a weekly teeny podcast where we intentionally experience Star Wars books together with our incredible community. I am your host, Timothy Guthrie, and I'm joined this week by early Sunday morning Adam Dyson. How are you, Adam? Good, mate. It's very cold here today. It snowed yesterday. I'm struggling, but the heater is on, and hopefully I can get all the warmth I need. Hopefully so. <laughs> uh, definitely don't want to... Is it cold enough that you might see any wampas running around? I don't know what kind of creatures I have in Australia. That's all right. I've got the Skywalker lightsaber on my shelf, so I'll, I'm good to go. <laughs> <laughs> good to hear. And then Patrick over on the East Coast, how you doing, man? I'm doing well. I'm psyched. The force is flowing fluidly through me. I'm ready. Good. Well, and this is a a fantastic set of chapters to have the force flowing through you because it's all out of whack in this set of chapters. So let's go ahead and just jump right in because this this is dense, a dense section all about relationships and craziness. So I'm going to go ahead and give that spoiler disclaimer. Remember that we are getting into spoiler heavy territories. So if you haven't read the book and you plan to do so, continue at your own risk. All right, so in this section, we see that Anakin has absolutely come unhinged. Doubt is plugging him everywhere, from Padme in the Republic to Obi-Wan in the Council to Palpatine, amplifying every minor infraction with half-truths and twisted reason. We hear the tragedy of Darth Plagueis the Wise, so exciting. We get Obi-Wan confronting Padme about her relationship with Anakin, and Padme finds that Obi-Wan is the only Jedi that she can really trust. Anakin doesn't like splitting up the team, and he's tired of being the answer to everyone's problems. He's falling apart, and now his wife and best friend are meeting together in secret, independently working against the Chancellor with their respective teams. Obi-Wan goes off to fight Grievous on Utapau and try to bring it into the war. Anakin learns the full truth about Palpatine. He is the Sith Lord they've been looking for. And Mace Windu, believe it or not, has a true love. And when he realizes that it's lost, he goes to confront Chancellor Palpatine himself. And we end on that incredible cliffhanger. I don't think we could have planned this any better. It's just tension building and building and building. Absolutely so much fun. Out the gate, before we even get into the the craziness of the chapters, Adam, what are your thoughts on everything that we read? Just brief intro kind of spiel. What did you think? I think out of the three parts that we've done so far, that this would have to be my favorite. There's just a lot of lore coming out of this part three. Just so much going on. We finally hear about Darth Plagueis, Anakin's struggle and turmoil when he finds out his friend, his father figure, is the Sith Lord. He mm-hmm. just doesn't know what to do, even though his instincts are telling him what he needs to do from the scene where he just ignites his lightsaber without even knowing it. It just... It's a real struggle for him, isn't it? I just love this this whole section. Yeah. Patrick, how about you, man? What are your what are your opening thoughts on this section we read? Man, this to me before this part is before the ending is one of the most emotional like roller coasters of the whole thing and I love it. Like the whole posturing before they all show their cards, the political intrigue. Oof. Just it gives me chills, man. I get chills. Yeah, there were a couple of times where I found myself like reading a couple sections and then like I just had to like write in the notes like heartbreak. I'm going to need a minute. 
or, oof, this is tough. There's a, a lot that's on the line here. So let's go ahead and get into it. I do want to shout out Narnian Jedi, which I love that username, and uh, Juliana in the chat, um, as well as Scott and Brea and Sam listening in. So glad to have you guys with us. 12 is not from a Jedi. And it kind of opens up with Anakin and Padme arguing. Anakin's frustrated. The war's destroyed everything. It's even destroying their relationship. You know, Padme and, and Anakin are, are wrestling through like what is actually worth saving and who are the bad guys and are they in and are they out? And Anakin's really frustrated that everybody wants something from him, right? Like he feels like he is everyone's answer because he's the chosen one and he doesn't have this cocky like, I'm the chosen one. It's more like, I don't want to do this anymore. I'm tired of this crap. And Padme's been keeping secrets from him with her whole kind of on the cusp of building the rebellion. Patrick, you know, we really start to see Anakin lose it here and especially his tensions with Padme. And, you know, for good reasons, there's, I think, a little bit of of, of tension there. What What are your thoughts? What's your read on this whole situation here? Reading back on it, it really sounds like the man's having a mental breakdown. When you hear how he's um he feels like he's dizzy, he's spiraling, especially towards the latter part of these chapters, when he's he's wondering when was the last time I even ate? This man sounds like his mind is just broke down completely and he's at rock bottom. And especially when he's probably more shocked nonetheless and all the stress that that's put on him. And the people that he is supposed to be like trustworthy with and close with the Jedi, Kenobi, these, other than Kenobi, they don't really trust him. And they are, their actions are still showing it. They're, and that's doing nothing but just heaping down more pressure and anxiety on this man because they want him to pretty much lift the weight of the galaxy on his shoulders, yet they want to give him no praise, no consideration, but they want him to do everything for them. Yeah, I think one of the brilliances of the way that this scene is set up is that it perfectly plays, whether intentionally or not, into Palpatine's later revelations and with how he tries to exploit the situation and really put Anakin on full tilt, right? Like he has constructed this whole ordeal in such a way that Anakin is naturally affected first by the relationships around him. So there's this natural doubt that creeps in just between him and Padme thinking different things about what the Republic is and who it should be and, you know, who they should be protecting and saving. Adam, do you have any thoughts there about that whole setup? Yeah, Palpatine did a excellent job, really, didn't he, from... Uh, with Anakin's whole trajectory throughout the last few years of his life and gets to the point where I think you're right, Pat. He just, it's just a mental breakdown. He doesn't know what to do. He, he's struggling with, like, what am, I, what am I even thinking anymore? What do I want to do? I, I don't know what's right. I don't know what's wrong. And definitely Palpatine is to blame for that. You know, he's frustrated. Everyone wants something from him. And in the last part, we talked about the fact that he wants those answers. He just can't get them. He's just not mm-hmm. allowed to get them. Maybe he would accept the idea of being the chosen one if he was just allowed to read the prophecy himself. So it's just his whole life decisions have been made for him. And I think that this is the the last straw on the camel's back, this part of this book. And this is where it all just starts free-flowing free downhill, 
I think. And yeah, Palpatine is just sitting there smiling in the background, knowing exactly what's about to happen because he planned this whole thing. Which leads directly into, I don't know, are, are you guys familiar with the tragedy of Darth Plagueis the Wise? That, <laughs> um, I've heard it's a we, story, not the Jedi tale. Yeah. It's a myth. Yeah, no, not at all. <laughs> if only. We do get the opera scene and Palpatine really starts to play on, you know, the Jedi can't be trusted. I mean, look, they're having you spy on me, basically, you know, without directly calling him out on it. He does that in a little bit. But, you know, he just simple questions. You know, Anakin says, well, I wouldn't think that the Jedi would actually try to take over the Republic. Like that's that doesn't make any sense. They're good people. And then Palpatine's like, really, though, are they? And I think one of the hard things for Anakin, right, is he's never had an opportunity to sit down and breathe and think through the ramifications of things, you know, like he's never had to choose for himself really what side he's, he's on at least through the part of, through the point of growing up, right? Like he made that first choice. I'm going to be a Jedi and that's it. But at least in this novel and, and what we see in the film, he does, he's not confronted often with the ability to just sit and take something and wrestle with it and try to figure it out on his own terms. So when Palpatine starts throwing out these, I don't know, can they? And it's just question after question. You know, Anakin goes, it's it's about peace, um, justice and peace. And then Palpatine's like, yeah, but the Sith are about peace and sec- or about justice and security. And it's pretty much the same thing, right? There's a definite difference in those two things. You know, I may not exactly know, you know, what that would look like. And I, I don't know, I kind of want to get your guys' opinion on that. In talking about the different philosophies, Jedi and Sith, um, you know, justice versus justice and peace versus justice and security. Do you think there's a difference between peace and security? Um, Patrick, let's go with you first. I don't know. What what did you think about all this? I was uh, on the Sith ends of things that the justice and security could also mean a more authoritative, um, theocratic style government that which they've always been fond of, especially if you look back into the old Republic eras where they ruled with the, the theocratic law of the Sith Order. And yeah, the um, Sith Empire would have peace, but it's very, one, it's very segregated. It would have been very stringent, very strict. And it's and it would reflect back on the idea of the strong and the powerful deserve everything. There would have been no no real justice for everybody. Yeah. I think back reading this section made me think back to the most recent, the living force episode with Beltway Banthas, um, right. Where Steven talked a lot about how there were a lot of people in the empire and citizens of the empire that kind of appreciated it because it provided that sense of order, but it's probably because they never saw the, the craziness of, yeah, people are being beaten and people are being put down. You know, they, on some of those planets, they just see, hey, I get my food on time. Like there's medicine and I don't know, this thing seems to be working out okay. Um, Adam, what, what, were, what are your thoughts here? I think in a perfect world, the two will intertwine and, you know, the business word synergy, I think. And the difference between the Sith and the Jedi all the two philosophies of light and dark is that the Sith just disregard the peace part of that synergy. They just go straight for security mm-hmm. and order comes from that. And it's not particularly order that we should all be living in. 
or the creation of that order. I think with peace comes security and it's not the other way around. You need the peace first. I think that's the difference for me. Yeah. I think so one of the, yeah. I wanted to ask you how much difference do you think the two orders are in their philosophy? How different do I think they are in their philosophy? You know, I guess it really depends. You know, there's the whole thing about about power from the perspective of the power versus understanding thing, right? That Palpatine gets into. You know, the Jedi seek to understand, and in that way, they get power, right? Whereas the Sith tend to just go through power first, and then they understand. And the more power that they, I think I have that correct, but you know, they're they're going to be that way. I can see. The, the tricky thing with Palpatine, right, is that they are a bunch of half-truths. I mean, he's not necessarily wrong in a lot of the things that he's saying, right? It's the implications of the manner in which those things are followed through. So I don't even know that it's necessarily about intention, but I definitely found myself reading this and going, I don't know, like in any other day, in any other context, not knowing that Palpatine's the bad guy, I might actually find myself agreeing with him sometimes, you know, with some of the things that he said. And that's, I think, one of the most difficult things. And that's why we have so many different, you know, political parties and such now is Anakin's biggest problem, I think, is that he defaults to whoever is the authority figure, but kind of in some ways, the authority figure in the room. And that's going to be Palpatine, especially here, but more often than not, because he's the leader of the whole Republic. So, and that's where, I don't know. I mean, at the end of the day, Jedi are supposed to be good, right? So I think you see a world where what they attempt to promote is that peace aspect, the kind of passivity. They're not trying to be warlords and take over everything. I don't know. That's my thought. I don't know that I answered your question, but I, th- I think the difference is how they do it. The the fear versus just outright peace and trying to keep everybody afloat. And I think that's, you know, Brea mentions in the chat, you know, she thinks it's the difference between leading through fear versus leading through wisdom and character. I think there's a, a definite difference between the two. Does that, that work? Yeah, no, I think you're, I think you're very, I think you're right on with that. I, um, I just wanted to mention, I did hear this one quote. It was from the old Republic book, Fatal Alliance. And it was mm-hmm. from, I can't remember which character exactly, but it was one who was not affiliated with either, saying that the reason they hate each other so much is because they are so similar. They hate, they fight the mirror image of themselves. Right. And I was, no, I, when bringing this up, that struck me as something as... Do they really understand themselves from the outside looking in and their differences from one another from the outside looking in? I got you. I think one of the things that makes me think about is uh, the last arc in season six of the Clone Wars, right? With Yoda trying to discover the plot of the Sith. And he gets, you know, he's he's with what we're assuming, who we're assuming are the wills, right? And he's... Um, dealing with these priestesses and he confronts this evil version of himself right i think the biggest the biggest problem and the biggest difference between the two is that the sith don't think that they could do any wrong period 
and there is good and bad, I think. And with Yoda, he acknowledges that there is a part of him that is not wanted. And he tries to ignore it right at first. He tries to, you know, get it to go away on its own and it won't. But and even in last section, you know, he referenced to Anakin, you know, you have to name your fear. You have to name the thing that is causing you problems um, for it to get any better. And so I think that that's that's a pretty big difference there. And yeah, I, don't, I couldn't help but think about think about that arc from from Yoda there. And there there is that difference, that wisdom and, and character and knowing that there is another way. I think there's always a better way to do things. And usually if you can save people, <laughs> that's that's that tends to be better. <laughs> you good with that, Patrick? Yeah, I love how you broke that down for us. Cool. And that great cool, cool, Clone Wars cool. reference. Man, it's honestly, it's probably my favorite arc in that whole series. It's just so real. And to see a character like Yoda, who is so strong and, and so wise and knowing, to recognize that even him, who's probably one of the most powerful Jedi in history, you know, also has issues. It's very humbling, I think. And especially teach that to kids too. Like no matter how great you are, no matter how strong you are, no matter what kind of powerful position you have, it's okay to get rid of that. And it's okay to admit that you have faults and people will probably respect you and follow you for doing that. And Mace kind of has that conversation with Obi-Wan too, um, here in a couple chapters, but. Well, doesn't um, that go back? Wouldn't yeah. that just go back to like the, um, like the little saying we have here, honesty is the best policy. Yeah, because you're yeah, honest sure. about yourself. There, like you said, you're honest about yourself. There, um, people will appreciate it because no one wants somebody who has narcissistic tendencies about everything they do in their life. Yeah, and that's that's one of the interesting things too. I think regarding Anakin and you know Adam, I think you could chime in here too, but. You know, Anakin is very honest. We talked about that last section. You know, he's very, wears his heart on his sleeve like a hollow net banner, right? But he's never really had the opportunity to sit down and talk about or think for himself, I don't know, what do I feel about this situation? And then when he's finally confronted with that, it is a terrible, terrible thing because he gets overwhelmed because he's, you know, question after question after question. Um I don't know. Yeah, you want to piggyback there with something? Yeah, definitely. We spoke about I spoke about last week that I think that his core values are just slightly different to the Jedi Order, and they're different enough that is a catalyst for what you know the the events that we'll see throughout the rest of the book and beyond. Yes, is like yes, he does wear his emotions on his sleeve, etc. And I think that's just inherently wrong with an organization that inhibits your ability to feel i think Um, Mm -hmm. it is hard to do especially in wartime as well with the jedi that how can you how can you forestall your emotions in in war you're yeah just it's hard it's just i think it's hard to explain a little even from me that um when you you hamper on someone's ability to feel i think that in the end it will just fall apart there needs to be some kind of fine line there and for anakin naturally we all know spoiler alert it didn't work um (laughs) yeah and i think even for jedi like obi-wan it's it it can't be done like we we consider obi-wan to be this pinnacle of what a jedi is and what a jedi should be and we're about to go into the next chapter into the will of the force and not even obi-wan can hold back his emotions 
Look at the Clone Wars and his his past dalliance with Satine. Like it's just, I think when you try and force the emotions out of people, it's it's when they will naturally fight back. I think it takes a different type yeah. of person to be able to not do that. And even as you said, Yoda struggles, and Yoda is meant to be the Grandmaster. Mace is yeah. able to do it, but well, he's and you a mentioned, douche. you know, <laughs> <laughs> yes, true that, true that. Well, and you mentioned, you know, Obi Wan's relationship with Satine, but Padme calls out his relationship with Anakin. You know, when he goes to see her in secret, right? Um, you know, he shows up to tell her, one, I know about you and Anakin. I pretend that I don't for Anakin's sake, which, like, dude, like you know practice what you preach right <laughs> um and then yeah go for it adam I, was about to say, I think that of any book that i've so far read in my star wars journey it's revenge of the sith that i think would just do so well with a slight rewrite now that the clone wars are finished where we could have mentions right. of ahsoka and satine especially in this like part three of our of our book club i Revenge of the Sith, like just with a slight rewrite of events and characters, would just make it even more powerful than it is. Yeah, that that's one of the interesting things about going back and reading this. You know, knowing that this preceded the whole series, and you know, preceded a lot of the things that we now know about Padme. Even and you know, there's there's so much that we can read into it, and I think that's one of the reasons why this book is one of those kind of but not really canon books, um, just where there are some differences there. But yeah, so we get we get Padme calling out, you know, his love for Anakin. And it is something that I did want to to kind of share because it was a beautiful moment. And it's just three quick paragraphs, if you don't mind me reading them. It's on page 243 in in my hardback version. But it's right before or Anakin's going to watch Obi-Wan like leave to go to Utapau, right? And Anakin apologizes to him. He says, Master. He said hesitantly, I know I've disappointed you in these past few days. I've been arrogant. I have not been very appreciative of your training and and what's worse of your friendship. I offer no excuse, Master, my frustration with the council. I know that none of it is your fault and I apologize for all of it. Your friendship means everything to me. And then it says Obi-Wan gripped Anakin's mechanical hand and with his other, he squeezed Anakin's arm above the joining of flesh and metal. You are wise and strong, Anakin. You are a credit to the Jedi Order, and you have far surpassed my humble efforts and instruction. And Anakin felt his own smile turn melancholy. Just the other day, you were saying that my power is no credit to me. And then Obi-Wan says, I'm not speaking of your power, Anakin, but of your heart. The greatness in you is a greatness of spirit, courage and generosity, compassion and commitment. These are your virtues, Obi-Wan said gently. You have done great things, and I'm very proud of you. And that's, I mean, right before the whole, I hate you, and you were like a brother to me. Like, <laughs> before that, this is a really beautiful <laughs> counter to that, right? Of They are being very real with each other, and Obi-Wan clearly has feelings for Anakin. I mean, because they are, you know, beyond brothers in that sense. I don't know. It it hit me in the feels, man, in a lot of ways. Adam, do you have anything you want to add to that? Yeah, definitely. It's like George Lucas and Matthew Stover are just, just getting ready. They're just giving you all, all this emotional content just to slap you in the face later on in the book. And it did. this is just, it, it is a really special section. And I think it's a, a section that really makes this group of chapters a favorite for me in the book. 
I really love the conversation between Obi-Wan and Padme. If there's any question as to what Obi-Wan knew and what he didn't know, I think this answers it right here. We know he doesn't explicitly mm-hmm. go out and say that, as, as Palpatine would in, in the later chapter. And I love that Padme just calls Obi-Wan out at the end of it as well. You love him, don't you? And he really can't answer because it's, it's like he's Jedi wiring. He's telling him not to, but he knows what he feels. He just can't say it until the end when it all falls apart and he says it too late. Yeah, Patrick, you got anything here? The buildup of emotion from this, this, this one chapter just makes me realize how much we're going to cry when Order 66 comes on in this book. Yeah. We, we're going to cry. We're going to cry reading, listening, and on the podcast. And for all of y'all <laughs> listening <everyone>. right now, <laughs> exactly, for all y'all listening right now, Next week, there will be some waterworks. Just yeah. get you a tissue. It's gonna yeah. hurt. Well, and w- you know, one of the things about this conversation between Obi Wan and Padme too is, you know, Obi Wan says that the the prophecy about concerning the chosen one, like the Jedi, are a little bit biased to thinking that it's going to be about a Jedi because it's a Jedi prophecy. But he very clearly states that it he might not, you know, the chosen one might not necessarily have to be a Jedi, but he then throws it, you know, back in a, but he has structure with us. So this is worthwhile for him to remain in the order. And then Palpatine brings up something similar in, you know, the next chapter or two about how Anakin could have it all, right? He could still have the power that he has. He could still have Padme. He can still have his friendships. And he's right. Like Anakin could have just left the order and that would have been fine. Like people have done it before. Anakin would have been the lost 21st and that would have been okay. He could have been happy. He could have, you know, had all of these things still work out for him and not have had to go down this particular path. I don't know. I just thinking about that. I was like, he could have had it all. He really could have. And Palpatine's not wrong there. Adam. Yeah, I think it just comes down to would he have made that decision if he just had the ability to have access to the archives and read the information for himself? How truthful yeah. would the Jedi being with him? Were they telling him that a Jedi would bring balance to the Force, or were they telling him an individual who's Force-sensitive will bring power, will bring balance to the Force? It's like right. It kind of brings into doubt what he was being told. Well, and also, like, the dude just needs a minute to take a nap. I mean, honestly, I mean, like, I know he can't sleep because of the dreams, but like, just give the guy like 15 minutes and a Kit Kat and like some Mountain Dew or something like just just let him let him be. Let him think for a if anyone needs forced <laughs> vacation leave. It's Anakin Skywalker. <laughs> yep. Yep. Well, and that that leads into chapter 14, his free fall in the dark. You know, Anakin thinks that the only way to get clarity is to talk with Palpatine because he's going to burn through the half-truths and subtle confusions the Jedi have given him. It's like, oh, dude, you are so mistaken because you're getting all this confusion from the man. And at this point, Palpatine shares with him that Obi-Wan and Padme have had a conversation and, you know, he starts to have all of these doubts amplified, you know, like Palpatine does, he finds, you know, an injury on the arm and just digs his thumb into it. Right. And just makes it worse. So Anakin goes and confronts Padme and he thinks about how, I thought it was so funny. He talks about the irony of how, well, maybe politicians can lie. You know, all these people that are supposed to be perfect, like Bale and Padme are supposed to be these 
incredible humans that, you know, never lie and they're always so right and they're, you know, infallible. They're incapable of being incorrect. He's like, of course they have a face, but he doesn't think about that in regards to Palpatine. And I'm just like, get yourself together, you idiot. <laughs> so frustrated reading it. And he doesn't know which way is up. He has no bearings and he knows he's going to crash. Like he knows it's not even going to be a landing. It's not even like it's just full blown. He's going to crash. And he is so particularly right. And then we kind of end this chapter with the delegation of the 2000. You know, he and Padme get into it. They don't know where the bad guys are. Um, and so Padme goes in with these senators to try to convince Palpatine to let go of his power. Right. Um, once Grievous is captured to you know get rid of the governorships, get rid of the moths and let everybody go back to letting the Senate run things. Chapter 15, we get Death on Utapau, which is a very, very dense chapter. And I kind of want to hit it from two different perspectives, really, because we get Cody and Obi-Wan have a cool little chat. And then I kind of want to spend the time on Utapau first, and then we can come back and talk about Anakin and Palpatine's office and that whole conversation. So I thought it was particularly hilarious that Cody and Obi-Wan are kind of joking with each other about Hey, when was the last time I let you down? <laughs> Knowing that Cody's about to ultimately let him down <laughs> for the last time. That was pretty brutal. Um, we also get Obi-Wan riding Boga. And I cannot remember the name of, you know, the creature because uh, they kept talking about the dragon back um, or Veracto, whatever. But it? it something like that. I can't mm. remember. But they they threw it back to it made me think back to Master and Apprentice, um, because if I'm not mistaken, in Master and Apprentice, it's the first time he ever reads a creature like that. And he gives this really cool pause to Qui-Gon as he's, you know, walking around Boga and really kind of channeling that natural aspect of the force. I thought that was a really neat segment. Patrick, what are your thoughts through through this particular section? Obviously, a lot happens, you know, the fight with Grievous and the chase and and all of that, but kind of give me your thoughts here. The one part of this that struck me the most was in that meeting when Palpatine makes he, that last chess piece, he's moved that last chess piece, getting mm -hmm. Anakin in the room with the rest of the delegation so he can be in a meeting and just tear him a little more away from the rest of the people that can keep him grounded. Because one thing, even though he's with Padme and that's against Jedi rules, she can at least keep him from going right off the cliff nope he put that wedge right between both of them he said nope no one's saving you this time kenobi's away nobody is saving you check and mate yeah yeah the this chapter is kind of bookended right with the jedi trap and this is how you said it you have the irresistible bait um which is you know kind of end of the war and then you have you know the remote location you know put it far out away where no one's gonna you know know about anything you have a proxy to try to get rid of of your issue and then you have you know the show of force make sure you have somebody that can can make sure that that the deal gets done and the end of the chapter is at the end of the day there's always that that last chess piece there's always that distraction and that's just keeping Obi-Wan away from Anakin so that Palpatine can influence Anakin directly. Right. Adam, you know, th this is the, the perfect Jedi trap. I think, you know, they, and it, it's not, I think the mistake is thinking that it's a trap for Obi-Wan, but I think it's actually a trap for Anakin. <laughs> um, what are your thoughts here? Yeah, exactly. It is, it is Obi-Wan and Padme are the two that would stop the events of the, of the remaining chapters of this book 
as you said, Pat, Pouch puts a wedge between Padme, done, sorted. Uh, what do I need to do with Obi-Wan? I need to get him away. And how do I get him away? I'll just let the Jedi think that the war's about to end. I will just mm. allow them to know where Grievous is and off Obi-Wan goes. And that's just, that's that's it. That's all this chapter is for me. It's just Pouch just putting the finishing touches on his on his plan to acquire Anakin as his apprentice. Get rid of one, get rid of the other, and then it's just me and the kid. My boy. Um, yeah, Pat, did you have something? And I just wanted to go off of what you were saying, Adam. Hmm. This A lot of this could have been avoided if they would have just let Anakin go with Obi-Wan. Yep. If they did not split <laughs> them up. Yeah. If they did not split them up and kept some coverage on Anakin, he wouldn't have been one-on-one with Pounce. Yep. And he's got some little, someone to keep him grounded. And maybe he gets some rest on the flight out. <laughs> yeah. Well, and that's, you know, that's something that, you know, I want to talk about Obi-Wan, you know, particularly here, because he has a conversation with Mace about, you know, how Mace developed Vapod, um, his, you know, lightsaber, you know, fighting technique to cover for the weakness that is the darkness within him. He talks about Yoda's lightsaber form of combat. It, it covers for a particular weakness that he has and not being able to reach very far, you know, not being able to, you know, to handle particular fighting styles with, you know, humans, I guess. Um, but Obi-Wan uses the most streamlined, basic defensive position um, in Suresu. And that's, that's so interesting to me especially knowing that obi-wan is the negotiator that we know him to be from the last couple chapters right that really it's it's getting it away from obi-wan because he's not just defensive and passive in his fighting technique he's also defensive and deflective of anything dark side related to protect our boy anakin so knowing that that defensive role is kind of all-encompassing for obi-wan i mean mace refers to him as the master not just a master but he is the master and it kind of implies that he doesn't have any weaknesses i mean i know we've talked that obviously obi-wan does but patrick did you get anything from from that particular conversation and you know how obi-wan plays you know that whole big role of defender yeah like in terms of his fighting style he's obviously one of the best defensive and counter-attacking swordsmen the order's ever seen but i like the part where um as you brought out, Mace says, um, they call me the master because I created my own form. They call you the master because you mastered a common form. Right. And like you said, it really does speak to his one, that personality, the negotiator, that passive Jedi gentleman that we've seen throughout everything. He's not going to become an aggressive. He's going to stick to his, he's going to stick to what he knows and how he's been going throughout the whole time. Just let the force flow through him. Let it passively throw through him. Flow through him. I can't use words this afternoon. And yeah, <laughs> let the force do the work for him and maintain that defense. Just do until he gets a mistake. And then he counterattacks. Perfect Obi-Wan Kenobi fight. Yeah, I, I think that that's such a cool way that Stover was able to to write those kind of force-controlled scenes because it kind of takes you out and you realize oh yeah obi-wan isn't really doing much here he's just he's just kind of being he's just being that water that he you know keeps getting referenced as 
um, which is really neat. And then Grievous dies, obviously. Um, but in the midst of, you know, this distraction of Utapau, obviously we have the real conflict, the whole reason that this thing is even happening to begin with, and that's Anakin heading to the dark side. You know, Palps does this great thing where without even really making it obvious, you know, he says, I don't know, you know, if people are against me, they're also against you, right? And when he's talking about the delegation of the 2000 and how, you know, this list of names is traitor or traitors. And I really thought through um, from that point on, you know, there's a section where Palpatine starts to tempt Anakin, right? Of like, what do you want? I'll give it to you. Just, just tell me what it is. Do, you, do you, what, what do you want? And he's like, I want that speeder. And he's like, okay, it's yours. It's done. And then he's like, wait a minute, that, uh, that, that's that can't be that easy, right? And then he's like, I don't know, what do you want? You want Corellia, the the planet or the system? Yeah, you can have it all. That's fine. And for me, at least, and, and growing up, you know, with my background and, and the things that I carry, um, this was very counter um, and very opposite of, you know, for those of you familiar with with Bible stories of, you know, the temptation of Jesus in the wilderness. Um, Anakin here is completely lost in the wilderness. And, you know, Palpatine being this evil, you know, kind of devilish figure is kind of like, here's this do this. And Anakin on a being a better person, I think would have been like, no, I don't need that because I have these things and I have everything that I need here. And I have a wife who loves me and I have, you know, a, a good job and being a Jedi, you know, like I don't need better things. I am powerful already on, on my own. Um, and I know that there's a better way to go about life. Um, and instead Anakin's like, okay, yeah, let's, let's go bigger and better. Let's see how far we can actually take this. And then he convinces him to finally say the thing that he's been trying to say all along. And that's that he wants to save Padme. And then Palpatine reveals, yeah, I can help you save Padme. Um, Patrick, you know, you talked a couple of times about Palpatine playing this chess piece. What, what did you think about this? All right. When you said, that he would have did it if he was he would have resisted if he was a better person and adam this one's for you as well i didn't think it was so much he was a he needed to be a better person more so as they caught him at the right time when everything was going wrong in his head and he did not know where to go yeah i took it uh like this was palpatine's final test of anakin if anakin starts to agree to to what the conversation we're having, yes, I want Corellia, I want the system, I want... Will he agree to taking the whole Senate departments, even though they're owned by a private corporation? I think this was Palpatine's final test of Anakin. And if Anakin just straight out said no, then this perhaps would have gone in a different direction. But as you said, Pat, this is this is Anakin's at his worst. He's, have, he's having what it equates to a mental breakdown... Palpatine has coerced him into this position where not even the thought of Padme support could stop Anakin from making these decisions. The Jedi Council is not going to stop Anakin from saying yes to these these offers. I think that this was the test. And then as we see after this, Palpatine comes out and says, I am basically Darth Sidious. And I think it is because Anakin didn't have the ability to say no anymore. And I don't think it's, he's exactly a bad person. He has many flaws, as we know. But I think he was just nudged into this, nudge, 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 just tap it in, happy Gilmore. And then <laughs> right at the end, yeah. Pops is like, here is your final exam. If you agree, I've got you. And you've agreed. You're mine. 
That's how yeah, I where, where everything where everything is going wrong for him, and he, you know, he's already in free fall. He doesn't know which way is up. Um, you know, Palpatine breaks it down in a pretty simplistic manner. Of at the end of the day, like it's not about choosing the Jedi or the Republic. You know, who do you love more? Do you love Obi Wan or Padme more? <laughs> do you love me more? And it's, you know, as, as Bray mentioned, it's so easy to be manipulated when you're emotionally exhausted, you know, when, when literally everything else is done and gone and you can't, you don't even have the mental strength to, to think about anything else. You're just going to kind of go for it. And I, I think in some way there was a little bit of attempt, um, a stroke of Anakin's pride though, when Palpatine mentions, you are the chosen one chosen by me, I'm choosing you. Um, that's something that Anakin hadn't really heard before either. And so to see that from him, I don't know, I just, I felt for the kid, especially knowing, knowing that it was a bad situation, right? Like I felt a little bit of empathy for Anakin having not necessarily been in a similar situation, but knowing like, I know what he's going through here. Adam, do you have any thoughts there? Yeah, it, yeah, it, when you're going through some mental health issues, it's hard sometimes just to leave the home. So I imagine just let's just throw yourself in his shoes for a minute where there's clearly something wrong and he's struggling. Yet the whole galaxy is looking to you. It's not, it's, not your, it's not your family looking to you. It's not your town. It is the literal galaxy. You are carrying the hopes and dreams of trillions of, of beings and more than that, really. It just, he, I don't know how, you just can't do it anymore. This is it. This is the break. It's just, it's like he's just gone, I cannot. I'm just going to think for me just for a second. And that's all it takes. And then really we get into the last chapter, which is going to kind of set up everything else. And this was a very short, short section, but it's revelation. And it's Anakin finally realizes, yeah, Palpatine's the Sith Lord we've all been looking for. And he, he runs to Mace Windu. He's completely out of breath. He's completely broken as a person. And Mace realizes that, you know, there are no more shatter points around Anakin. Anakin is the shatter point. Um, literally everything, the way this is all going to go down is going to be based on Anakin himself. Mace can kind of feel his fear. And then we get this really cool interlude of, you know, this is this is Mace's secret right now, and he loves the Republic beyond anything else. It's all that he's ever known. And I thought that was kind of interesting to see. And I mentioned this is all about relationships. You know, Mace is a, a tool bag, as we've all talked about, very evident, you know, all throughout. But um, he does love the Republic so much. Uh, Patrick, did that strike you as odd in in a way? Or is this something that I don't know. Makes sense to you. When you see where the order had been dragged, the position that the order had been dragged into, it makes a lot of sense. They were literally dragged from the, the era before Anakin was part of the order. And when Qui-Gon was around as peacekeepers, negotiators, and dispute settlers to full-on politicians and warmongers, they've been like in the movie and in this book, there's many times where Mace is talking about we need to take over the Senate to deal with this. And that, that is a huge no for them, especially, one, from a public standpoint, and two, that completely goes against y'all's code and morals, especially when they're supposed to be the moral sense of the Republic. They're supposed to be the conscious 
of this whole galaxy. And they are talking about almost a coup. Because whether he likes it or not, Palpatine was still legally elected. And they legally passed all of those yeah. laws that he those orders that he wanted. That's, well, and you know, when when you asked me earlier about, you know, the the difference between the the Jedi and the Sith, and you know, they, they do look pretty close together, you know, depending on, you know, kind of which side you're standing on. Mace is wanting to do the exact same thing that Palpatine's doing at the end of the day. You know, I mean, he wants to take matters into his own hands and just do it. Just do the dang thing. And that's I don't know. That's something that especially talking it out now that really sticks out. You know, he's got that darkness inside of him. But at the end of the day, he he knows he could do it better. So why not just let him do it better? And then he falls into this heartbreak, right? Because Anakin tells him that Palpatine is the Dark Lord of the Sith, that the Republic is dead. And he realizes Sith it's all Lord? for naught. Um, and he says that he's only going to do as much as he has to when he confronts Palpatine. Um, do you think in a way that this, you know, kind of like how Anakin was was looking for permission you know, to to kill Dooku. Do you think that this is kind of Mace's permission? And Adam, we'll start with you. But like, I don't know, knowing that Palpatine is Sith Lord, knowing that his one true love and the Republic is dead. Do you think this is the permission that he was looking for to just be like, yeah, fine, let's do it. <laughs> yeah, I think there's already that personal animosity between the two. You got Sidious in the council, but I think it's really Sidious and Mace. Sorry. And, um... For me, definitely, this is, he has one attachment and that one attachment has been compromised and there's an individual that has compromised his one attachment. And if we know anything about Mace Window, um, Windu, sorry, um, that's just, that can't be allowed to happen. So I think in, in himself, he's, there's not, I'll just do what I must is I will go over there and sort this out. It's like a scorned lover, isn't he? And he's, his partner has been compromised and he's just anger yeah for sure and you called him mace window and that's because he's about to go out the window <laughs> in the next section see my sub my subconscious get, is already calling it <laughs> get ready <laughs> uh. well guys what kind of thinking back through this section what what was your favorite moment Patrick, let's start with you. Anything stick out as your favorite? I mean, in, even if it's the entire section, you can call the entire section your favorite. <laughs> but do you have a favorite moment from here? Uh, yes. When Anakin is in Palp's office, and he's pretty much having convulsions in a way, and he's just mm -hmm. going having tunnel vision right before he announces to him, oh, I'm Darth Sidious. That, that whole buildup and that, that last bit of chess play. Yeah. Adam, how about yourself? Uh, my favorite section was from chapter 13, and it was the discussion between Obi-Wan and Padme regarding Anakin. I think it's just just emotionally kicks you in the stomach over and over again, and I just, just the ending I'll always think about is that you love him, don't you? And you just can't answer. And it makes me sad because he made that mistake once already. He made that mistake with Satine, and as we know from the Clone Wars, the team was someone that Obi-Wan would have left the Order for. He he told her that. And it's just sad to see him make the same mistake again. Yeah, I, I think I'm right there with you. Any, I mean, honestly, 
I think Padme with the resurgence that she's had, I think she's actually become one of my all time favorite Star Wars characters now. And just any time that she is on screen or in the pages, I'm just drawn to her. And I think any time that we get her, especially written as well as she is here, there's a, a lot of power in her character. And she's able to, she's a great politician, but she's able to cut through all the crap. You know, she sees people for who they are. That's always been something that's been redeeming and, and really cool about her character is that she is she's an idealist for sure, which you know can sometimes get you caught up, you know, in ways you may not want to go. But I mean she she means what she says and she says what she means, kind of a thing. And I I go go ahead. I was about to say I think there's definitely a reason why Lucasfilm has gone back to Padme Amidala and, and the success of Queen Shadow and now the success of Queen's Peril, I think that and hopefully we will get more of her in the future because you're right. She is just such a powerful character and she de- deserves all the love and admiration that the fandom is giving her. I think, I think boys, I think that's a good place to end it for today. That's a, uh, that's, that's heavy. I think a lot of, a lot of crazy, crazy stuff happens in this section. We get a lot of cool character development and some character destruction as well with our poor boy, Anakin. But thank you guys uh, for tuning into the chat. Thanks for participating in the Conjure Book Club. Um, We'll be back next week to talk through Revenge of the Sith, chapters 17 through 21 in Poor Order 66. Don't let it happen. Not ready. Uh, In the meantime, please. (laughs) Not ready at all. In the meantime, please. (laughs) Yes. Please uh, keep the conversation going in our Discord community and, and definitely throughout the week too. As you're reading, if anything sticks out to you, you know we want to make sure that we can include your thoughts here, especially if you're listening on Patreon and can't participate in the live chat. If you're not on Discord yet, feel free to contact us through Patreon and we'll get you all set up. You can find me, Timothy, on Twitter and Discord at TheyCallMeT13. Adam is at DarkStarAU and Patrick's on Discord at Mac11. Um, we do want to say too that if you want to jump into the book club and help support the show look up this book on utini.com click the amazon link on the profile and we'll get a few cents to help keep the lights on uh, we'll put a link for this week's book as well as september's book which is bloodline by claudia gray we'll put those in the show notes in your podcast player if you'd like to help us out more directly you can find us on patreon.com forward slash utini or pick up some sweet new merch at utini.com forward slash merch Special thank you to Sally and Chris Eilerson on our Alliance High Command Patreon tier and Cheryl Bell, Alec Householder, and Patrick Ortiz on our Jedi High Council tier for their amazing support. Last but certainly not least, thank you to Adam and Patrick for podcasting with me today. You guys are the best. May the Force be with you, everyone.